You are listening to the Miskel City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's reading, head on over to Facebook and find the Miskel City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to interact with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts, the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so that we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 235. We are reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 11, paragraphs 469 to 481. Chapter 11. Christ our Savior celebrates the sacramental supper, consecrating his true and sacred body and blood in the Holy Eucharist, his prayers and petitions, the communion of his Blessed Mother, and other mysteries of this occasion. 469. With great diffidence do I enter upon the treatment of the ineffable mystery of the Holy Eucharist and of what happened at its institution. For raising the eyes of my soul toward the light which encompasses and governs me in the performance of this work, The high intelligence given me of the vast wonders and sacraments reproaches me with my littleness in comparison with the greatness therein manifested. My faculties are disturbed, and I cannot find words to explain what I see and conceive, although all these conceptions are far from the reality that is shown to my understanding. But though ignorant of the terms, and though very unfit for such discourse, I must speak in order that I may continue this history and relate what part the great lady of the world had in these wonders. If I do not speak as appropriately as the matter demands, let my amazement and my lowly condition be my excuse, for it is not easy to yield to the exactions of spoken words when the will is so intent on supplying the defects of the understanding and on enjoying that which it is hopeless and even unbecoming to manifest. 470. Christ had partaken of the prescribed supper, which his disciples, reclining on the floor around a table, which was elevated from it little more than the distance of six or seven fingers. For such was the custom of the Jews. But after the washing of the feet, he ordered another higher table to be prepared, such as we now use for our meals. By this arrangement, he wished to put an end to the legal suppers and to the lower and figurative law and establish the new supper of the law of grace. From that time on, he wished the sacred mysteries to be performed on the tables or altars which are in use in the Catholic Church. 
The table was covered with a very rich cloth, and upon it was placed a plate or salver, and a large cup in the form of a chalice, capacious enough to hold the wine. All this was done in pursuance of the will of Christ our Savior, who by his divine power and wisdom directed all these particulars. The master of the house was inspired to offer these rich vessels, which were made of what seemed a precious stone-like emerald. The apostles often used it afterwards in consecrating whenever the occasion permitted it. The Lord seated himself at this table with the apostles and some of the other disciples, and then ordered some unleavened bread to be placed on the table, and some wine to be brought, of which he took sufficient to prepare the chalice. 4.71 Then the Master of Life spoke words of most enduring love to his apostles, and though his sayings were wont to penetrate to the inmost heart at all times, Yet on this occasion they were like the flames of a great fire of charity, which consumed the souls of his hearers. He manifested to them anew the most exalted mysteries of his divinity, humanity, and of the works of redemption. He enjoined upon them peace and charity of which he was now to leave a pledge in the mysteries about to be celebrated. He reminded them that in loving one another they would be loved by the Eternal Father, with the same love in which he was beloved, he gave them an understanding of the fulfillment of this promise in having chosen them to found the new church and the law of grace. He renewed in them the light concerning the supreme dignity, excellence, and prerogatives of his most pure virgin mother. Among all the apostles, St. John was most deeply enlightened in these mysteries on account of the office imposed upon him. The great lady from her retreat beheld in divine contemplation all these doings of her son in the cenacle, and in her profound intelligence she entered more deeply into their meaning than the apostles and the angels, who also were present in bodily forms, adoring their true Lord, Creator, and King. By the hands of these angels Enoch and Elias were brought to the cenacle from their place of abode, for the Lord wished that these fathers of the natural and of the written laws would be present at the establishment of the law of the gospel, and that they should participate in its mysteries. 4.72 all these, being present, awaiting full of wonder what the author of life intended to do there, appeared also in the hall, the person of the Eternal Father and of His Holy Ghost, as they had appeared at the baptism of Christ, at the Jordan, and at the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. Although all the apostles and disciples felt this divine presence, yet only some of them really were favored with a vision of it. Among these were especially St. John the Evangelist, who was always gifted with eagle sight into the divine mysteries. The entire heaven was transplanted to the cenacle of Jerusalem, for of such great importance was the magnificence of this work by which the new church was founded, the law of grace established, and eternal salvation made secure. For a better understanding of the doings of the incarnate word, I must remind the reader that he possessed two natures in one person, the divine and the human nature, united in one divine person of the word. Hence, the proper activities of both natures are rightly attributed to one and the same person, just as the same person is called both God and man. Consequently, when I say that the incarnate word spoke and prayed to the Eternal Father, it must not be interpreted as meaning that he prayed or spoke in as far as he was divine, since in divinity he was equal to the Father, but in as far as he was human, inferior, and composed of body and soul, as we ourselves are. In this sense, therefore, Christ confessed and extolled the immensity and infinitude of the Eternal Father, 
praying for the whole human race. 473. My Father and Eternal God, I confess, praise, and exalt thy infinite essence and incomprehensible deity, in which I am one with thee and the Holy Ghost, engendered from all eternity by thy intellect as the figure of thy substance and the image of thy individual nature. In the same nature which I have assumed in the virginal womb of my mother, I wish to accomplish the redemption of the human race with which thou hast charged me. I wish to restore to this human nature the highest perfection and the plenitude of thy divine complacence. And then I wish to pass from this world to thy right hand, bearing with me all those whom thou hast given me without losing a single one of them, for want of willingness on our part to help them. My delight is to be with the children of men, Proverbs 8.31, and, as in my absence, they will be left orphans, if I do not give them assistance. I wish my Father to furnish them with a sure and unfailing token of my inextinguishable love and a pledge of the eternal rewards which thou holdest in reserve for them. I desire that they find in my merits an easy and powerful remedy for the effects of sin, to which they are subject on account of the disobedience of the first man, and I wish to restore copiously their right to the eternal happiness for which they are created." 474. But since there will be few who will preserve themselves in this justice, they will need other assistance, so that they may reinstate themselves and strengthen themselves in the way of justification and sanctification, by being continually furnished with new and exalted gifts and favors of thy clemency in their dangerous pilgrimage through life. It was our eternal decree that they should have created existence and participate in our love which caused me to assume a nature able to suffer and welcome the humiliation of the cross. One not rest satisfied until it invented new means of communicating itself to men according to their capacity and our wisdom and power. These means shall consist in visible and sensible signs, adapted to their condition as sentient beings, and causing invisible effects in the spiritual and immaterial part of their natures. 475. To advance these high ends for thy exaltation and glory, eternal Lord and Father, in my name and in that of all the poor and afflicted children of Adam, I ask the fiat of thy eternal will. If their sins call out for thy justice, thy neediness and misery appeal to thy infinite mercy. At the same time, I, on my part, interpose all the works of the humanity which is indissolubly bound to my divinity. I offer my obedience in accepting suffering unto death, my humility in subjecting myself to the depraved judgment of men, the poverty and labors of my life, the insults of my passion and death, and the love which urges me to undergo all this for the advance of thy glory and for the spreading of thy knowledge and adoration among all creatures capable of thy grace and happiness. Thou, O eternal Lord and my Father, has made me the brother and the chief of men, and has destined them to partake eternally of the joys of our divinity. As thy children, they are to be heirs with me of thy everlasting blessings. Romans 8.17 And as members of my body, they are to participate in the effects of my brotherly love. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Therefore, as far as depends upon me, I desire to draw them on toward my friendship, and to see them share in the goods of the divinity to which they were destined in their origin from their natural head, the first man. 476. 
Impelled by this boundless love, Lord and Father, I ordain that from now on men may re-enter into thy full friendship and grace through the sacrament of baptism, and that they may do so as soon as they shall be born to daylight. And their desire of renaissance into grace, which they cannot in their infancy manifest on their own account, shall, with thy permission, be manifested for them by their elders. Let them become immediate heirs of thy glory. Let them be interiorly and indelibly marked as children of my church. Let them be freed from the stain of original sin. Let them receive the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, by which they may perform the works of thy children, knowing thee, trusting in thee, and loving thee for thy own self. Let them also receive the virtues by which they restrain and govern disorderly inclinations, and be able to distinguish without fail the good from the evil. Let this sacrament be the portal of my church, and the one which makes men capable of receiving all the other favors, and disposes them to new gifts and blessings of grace. I ordain also that besides this sacrament they may receive another in which they shall be confirmed and rooted in the holy faith that they have accepted, and become courageous in its defense as soon as they shall arrive at the use of reason. And because human frailty easily falls away from the observance of my law, and since my charity will not permit me to leave them without any easy and opportune remedy, I wish to provide the sacrament of penance. Through it, men, by acknowledging their faults and confessing them with sorrow, may be reinstated in justice and in the merits of glory promised to them. Thus shall Lucifer and his followers be prevented from boasting of having so soon deprived them of advantages of baptism. 477. By the justification of these sacraments, men shall become fit to share in the highest token of my love, in the exile of this their mortal life, namely to receive me sacramentally under the species of bread and wine, in an ineffable manner. Under the species of bread I shall leave my body, and under the species of wine my blood. In each one of them I shall be present really and truly, and I institute this mysterious sacrament of the Eucharist as a heavenly nourishment, proportioned to their condition as a wayfaring men. For their sake shall I work these miracles and remain with them until the end of the coming ages. Matthew 28.20 For the strengthening and defense of those who approach the end of their lives, I moreover appoint the sacrament of extreme unction, which shall at that time be a certain pledge of the bodily resurrection of those thus anointed in order that all may contribute proportionately to the sanctification of the members of the mystical body of the church, in which, by the most harmonious and orderly cooperation, all must have their proper position. I institute the sacrament of ordination to distinguish and mark some of its members by a special degree of holiness, and place them above the other faithful as fit ministers of the sacraments and as my chosen priests. Although they derive all their powers from me, I nevertheless wish that it should flow from me through one of their number, who shall be my vicar and chief, representing my person and act as my high priest. Into his keeping I deposit the keys of heaven, and him all upon earth shall obey. For the further perfection of my church, I also establish the last of the sacraments, matrimony, to sanctify the natural union of man and wife for the propagation of the human race. Thus shall all the grades of my church be enriched and adorned by my infinite merits. This Eternal Father, 
is my last will, whereby I make all the mortals inheritors of my merits in this great storehouse of grace, my new church. 478. This prayer Christ our Redeemer made in the presence of the apostles, but without any exterior manifestation. The most blessed mother, who from her retreat observed and followed him, prostrated herself upon the floor, and his mother offered to the Eternal Father the same petitions as her son. Although she could not add anything to the merits of the works of her divine son, nevertheless, as on other occasions, she, as his helpmate, united her petitions with his, in order that by her faithful companionship she might move the Eternal Father to so much the greater mercy. And the Father looked upon them, both graciously accepting the prayers, respectively, of the Son and Mother, for the salvation of men. Besides prayer, her divine Son left the performance of yet another work in her charge. In order to understand what this was, it must be remembered, as I mentioned in the preceding chapter, that Lucifer was present at the washing of the apostles' feet, and that being forced to remain and witness the doings of Christ in the cenacle, he astutely conjectured some great blessings to be intended for the apostles. Although the dragon felt his forces much diminished and, and altogether unavailing against the Redeemer, he nevertheless sought with implacable fury and pride to spy out these mysteries for the concoction of future malicious plans. The great lady perceived these intentions of Lucifer and knew that the foiling of them was to be left in her hands. Therefore, inflamed by zeal and love for the Most High, she, as sovereign queen, commanded the dragon and all his squadrons to leave the hall and descend to the depths of hell. 479. To accomplish this, the arm of the Almighty gave new power to the Blessed Virgin, so that neither the rebellious Lucifer nor all his hosts could resist. They were hurled into the infernal abysses, there to remain until they should be again permitted to issue as witnesses to the passion and death of the Savior, in order to be finally convinced of his being, the Messiah and Redeemer, true God and man. Let it then be understood that Lucifer and his demons were present at the legal supper and washing of the feet, and also afterwards at the entire passion of Christ, but that they were not present at this institution of the Holy Eucharist, nor at the communion of the disciples. Then the great queen was raised to a most sublime state of contemplation of the mysteries about to be enacted, and the holy angels as to another valorous Judith, saying to her of this glorious triumph over the dragon, at the same time, Christ our Lord offered up to the Eternal Father exalted thanksgiving and praise for the blessings conceded to the human race in consequence of his petition. 480. Thereupon Christ our Lord took into his venerable hands the bread which lay upon the plate and interiorly asked the permission and cooperation of the Eternal Father that now and ever afterwards in virtue of the words about to be uttered by him and later to be repeated in his holy church, he should really and truly become present in the host himself to yield obedience to these sacred words. While making this petition, he raised his eyes toward heaven with an expression of such sublime majesty that he inspired the apostles, the angels, and his virgin mother with new and deepest reverence. Then he pronounced the words of consecration over the bread, changing its substance into the substance of his true body, and immediately thereupon he uttered the words of consecration also over the wine, changing it into his true blood. As an answer to these words of consecration was heard, the voice of the Eternal Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I delight, and shall take my delight in until the end of the world, and he shall be with me during all the time of their banishment. 
in like manner was this confirmed by the Holy Ghost. The most sacred humanity of Christ and the person of the Word gave tokens of profoundest veneration to the divinity contained in the sacrament of his body and blood. The Virgin Mother in her retreat prostrated herself on the ground and adored her Son in the Blessed Sacrament with incomparable reverence. Then also the angels of her guard, all the angels of heaven, and among them likewise the souls of Enoch and Elias, in their own name and in the name of the holy patriarchs and prophets of the old law, fell down in adoration of their Lord in the holy sacrament. 481. All the apostles and disciples who, with the exception of the traitor, believed in this holy sacrament, adored it with great humility and reverence according to each one's disposition. The great high priest Christ raised up his own consecrated body and blood in order that all who were present at his first mass might adore it in a special manner, as they also did. During this elevation, his most pure mother, St. John, Enoch, and Elias, were favored with a special insight into the mystery of his presence in the sacred species. They understood more profoundly how, in the species of the bread, was contained his body, and in those of the wine his blood, how in both, on account of the inseparable union of his soul with his body and blood, was present the living and true Christ, how, with the person of the Word, was also therein united in the person of the Father and the Holy Ghost, and how, therefore, on account of the inseparable existence and union of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the Holy Eucharist contained the most perfect Godhead. All this was understood more profoundly by the Heavenly Lady and by the others, according to their degree. They understood also the efficacy of the words of consecration, now endowed with such divine virtue, that as soon as they are pronounced with the intention of doing what Christ did at that time, by any priest, since that time over the proper material, they would change the bread into his body and the wine into his blood, leaving the accidents to subsist in a new way and without their proper subject. They saw that heaven and earth would sooner fall to pieces than the effect of the words of consecration when pronounced in the proper manner by the sacerdotal minister of Christ should ever fail. This concludes our reading today for day number 235. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 11, paragraphs 469 to 481. As we begin treating the Holy Eucharist today in our reading, Maria of Agreda acknowledges that this is a very difficult teaching and that she, in a sense, is humbling herself to do it. She also says that it is from this holy sacrament in which she receives all of this knowledge. She says, For raising the eyes of my soul toward the light which encompasses and governs me in the performance of this work, that light which encompasses and governs me, that light which shines forth from the blessed sacrament. And then we have this long discourse of Jesus today, kind of as he gives his last teaching to the apostles before he heads off to the garden to pray. St. John was always gifted with eagle sight into the divine mysteries. So as he heard these teachings of Jesus, he understood them. And St. John, in the depiction of these animal images, is always depicted as an eagle. So very fitting that Maria of Agreda remains with the tradition there. Jesus says that he desires that the Eucharist would help people to remedy the effects of sin, that it might be a means by which 
they grow in virtue and are able to restrain disorderly inclinations and always strive to do the good. So with every Eucharist you receive, remember that this is your food on your earthly journey to the kingdom of heaven, that this is the food that will help you to confront evil in your life. But this is the food that you will gain strength from. We also heard about the other sacraments, penance, extreme unction, holy orders, and marriage that Christ wishes to leave the people of God. And then when Christ confects the Eucharist, Maria of Agreda writes, Thereupon Christ our Lord took into his venerable hands the bread which lay upon the plate, and interiorly asked the permission and cooperation of the Eternal Father, that now and ever afterwards, in virtue of the words about to be uttered by him, and later to be repeated in his holy church, he should really and truly become present in the host and in the wine. So Christ cooperating now with the Father, saying, Father, this is what I wish to do to leave myself here with the people. And so I petition you, Almighty God, that what I say now, that this reality may be effected. Because remember, Jesus goes about and he tells crippled people to get up and stand. He casts out demons. He opens the eyes of the blind. His words are powerful. And he says, Almighty Father, These words I say, may they be the most powerful words I've ever spoken in my public ministry. And so by that request, that prayer of Jesus, the Father agrees. And now, to this present day, we are able to receive our Lord. And we heard about the presence of heaven at this Last Supper. And we know at every Mass, heaven is there with us, adoring and praising God in the Holy Mass. The apostles were granted an understanding of the Holy Eucharist. And so as we strive to love the Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament, to revere him, may we ask today that the Lord would give us a similar knowledge and understanding that those chosen apostles gained. I'm Father Edward Looney. And throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.